Hello and welcome to Under the Skin from Luminary. This week I spoke with Robert McFarlane. Robert is a writer and fellow of Emmanuel College, Cambridge. He is known for his books on landscape, nature, place, people and language. He is the author of Underland and Mountains on, of the Mind. Robert is beautiful. If you'd like to listen to the rest of this podcast and all of my weekly Under the Skin podcasts, all you have to do is subscribe to Luminary on Apple Podcasts or download the Luminary app. Also, I have a brand new meditation podcast called Above the Noise, out now. In this part of the podcast with Robert, we talk about what it's like to go down beneath. The obvious analogies between subterranean spaces and the unconscious mind rebirthing through a uteral tunnel. We talk about uh, sacredness, miracles, rationalism and individual individualism, the limitations thereof. It's absolutely fantastic. If you want to listen to more of it, go over to Luminary. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not no, a successful route. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand Under the Skin. I suppose what I'm interested in now is how come mm. you went from like mountaineering and that kind of what what made you why specifically the underworld what drew you to that? Yeah, well, I think um, I look back at it and this is this kind of um, uh, is retrofitting, I guess, but it, it had a sort of gravitational logic. I just kept heading downwards, so I started on the mountains and then ended up writing a book called The Wild Places, which was more about moors and forests and islands. And then I wrote a book called The Old Ways, which was about tracks and paths, which are the beginnings of the underworld in a way, because they're kind of beaten down into the land a little bit. And the deepest of them are called hollowways. That are, you get them on sandstone, green stone. They're hundreds of years old and basically water and wheels and feet have cut them, cut this soft rock, bedrock, up to 20 feet down into the landscape. So they're like they're like gorges and you enter them and it's you're entering a different dimension the shadow um they can't be farmed because they're too deep um gits in four by fours sometimes mash them up because they think that affirms their penis length or you know self-perceived masculinity uh green laners and off-roaders uh are just anyway it's another mindset i can't comprehend and and then just begin to you know and then that was the sort of portal transition zone was the holloway and then I also think it's something to do with being a bit older and, you know, the underworld's about graves and loss and burial and memory and grief and, all, you know, all the things that have circled all of us, uh, particularly the last 15, 18 months. I suppose one of the things that's obvious is that something that is so uh, to which which is so close to us, adjacent with us, that are, yes. that, that, that we literally stand on is so full of mystery there's something <laughs> of the sort of horror of psychedelics in it for me like not not the beauty the grace the enlightenment the epiphany of psychedelics but like my some experiences when i was younger where suddenly the certainty of self was uh cleaved and uh, cast asunder and I thought, oh my god i'm not me i'm not me at all and it was there's mm. something terrifying about that i like in one of the early stories where you talk about you know you're having all these experiences and then you put your head up and I now recognise right you were somewhere else and like there's cars and people listening to the radio and they've got their <laughs> arm out the window and stuff like that yeah. it's bewildering oh, it's, it's totally bewildering and colour is colour again like green I've never seen a greener green than the green I saw after two and a half days in the Paris catacombs and somebody was somebody was playing music from one of the high windows I remember when we emerged from the catacombs and came out the old railway tunnel that we'd got access into it through and 
I I'd never heard music like it, even though I, I had heard that music before. So it is the bardo, like it's the Tibetan bardo, the rebirth, where you pass through a uh, a, t a tunnel, a channel, uh, and and then and and that's a pilgrimage, but it's also a return to the surface. So yeah, and um, there's, yeah, you feel like you've stepped, you've come back from another world, and you have. And I gave a I gave a very specific example, like when the Chilean miners, those miners who got trapped, everyone, you know, that world fixating story. They they came back from all of them were saved, but they came back in a capsule one by one that was co-designed by the Chilean scientists and government and NASA. And it just made perfect sense. They were coming back from another galaxy, another world. The one we walk on, as you say, like an inch away from us is the rhizosphere. 10 meters away from us is bedrock. Um, you know, a few kilometers away from us is is deep crust. I mean, we, 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 we live in this tiny boundary layer between the, the wildnesses of the upper atmospheres and the inconceivable darkness and forces of, of the crust and the core. Because what you're dealing with in the book, and it seems more broadly in your writing, is where <laughs> an investigation into the unknown, how close to us the unknown is, how mm. all, all uh, the sovereignty of knowledge is surrounded on all sides by this kind of wilderness that may yet be unknowable. It feels to me that, um, that sacredness mystery and religiosity are forever present in the writing mm. do you are you curious about spirituality and religion and are you as like many people who i think are influenced retrospectively now by your writing do you what do you think about the idea that a kind of a, a reinvigoration of certain spiritual principles is what's required to sort of reawaken a, a, a kind of a, a reverence for one another for ourselves for the world it's it's a very beautiful question and at risk of collapsing its fragility i'm just going to say that someone started a leaf blower up in the next door garden so i'm just, i'm just going to shut the window to see if that keeps the noise down a bit and then i'll get back to spirituality hold on hello <laughs> i'm in a different mood now <laughs> I've changed. I'm no longer the person that I was before you closed that window. It's all gone. I will um I will convey our, our mutual complaints and triplicate to said leaf blower. And, and did, do you know uh, outraged of course. There's also no point um, in blowing those leaves. Ah. Uh, but there it is. I mean the the leaf blower. What what a ridiculous anyway, let's <laughs> I am gonna become a leaf leaf blower bloviator if you set me going on that one, but it doesn't sound like the angry old man I am. I've already done four by fours, what's happening to me is talk about the combustion engine. Um yeah, i I mean I'd be really interested to hear you on this, Russell. I know I mean you think you've thought a great deal about these things. I don't know. Uh, I think the, the, if I had to kind of print up the the, the the spirituality business card, it would probably say something like mis, mis, mystical materialist, um, which is to say, I'm, as, as we've already discussed, I'm kind of utterly fascinated by um, by how little we know um, and by by how the, the material world is forever astonishing us with its um, with, with its dark matter. Let's put it like that, with the extent of its of its of its secrets, and we might take the example of the Wood Wide Web, um, the, the the mycorrhizal fungal network that you discussed with Merlin that I write about in the book. You know, Western science discovered that through the work pioneering work of Suzanne Samard about a quarter of a century ago. 
indigenous cultures have known about it. They've, you know, it's been self-evident to them that trees talk to each other and have social networks for thousands of years. Um, dark matter, you know, our knowledge of that is a century old, but but really we we know we know nothing of it. So I think of us as these, you know, this arrogant species that wanders, holding up a little flickering taper inside this immense cave, and 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 think we can see it all when in fact we only illuminate a little patch on the on the wall uh, and then we and then we arrogantly work out hubristically work out from that so mystic in the sense that i i cherish ignorance um because i, I see it as a, uh, as a as a as a kind of impulse really um and and that i find miracles in the in the made world the given world um what what, what about you where what, particularly thinking about it in relation to sort of nature and the natural world I'm thinking about it in relation specifically to your book, and I know that sort of um, like Merlin has been explicit about an irritation that I recognise in the rush to sort of mystify or claim on behalf of mystery or some new, perhaps crystal encrusted, drastic stinking dogma like oh look see we told you that the double blind experiment leads to this and like he said like you could have you know you could draw the idea that there are mother trees but that's so sort of anthropomorphic and sort of clumsy and agenda led and but what what i kept what i found in in your book like and i suppose what uh, excited me was like when whether you're talking about the relationships with sort of the characters in there like that couple you know that are in italy or wherever it was or or, or merlin or, or that woman in paris and like i feel like you played some really interesting games like a woman in a wedding dress and all the moths in paris and stuff I was like does this even really happen and I was trying to think about sort of as a writer the kind of uh, liberties that you may have taken and what you might have done with the timeline and stuff like that and like you know that you have to you're obligated to make sense of certain things as a writer with the kind of uh, what's um, you know with the requirements of the discipline I suppose but the thing that sort of it, it, it touched me on a kind of I suppose on a sort of a religious level is that the, the ongoing almost involuntary and, and not to um, diminish what you have done achieved as a writer how could I after all those quotes but like uh, sort of, it seemed like the sort of effortless correlative between mystery and the practical between the material and the mystery and like perhaps most um, gosh what we'd were to use in this context but most obviously in that sort of extraordinary story about the study of weekly interacting massive particles and let you know i talked i talked about that to a few friends afterwards and it, like i felt like that you know like that if that is a material physical reality that that's happening completely imperceptibly that we are yeah like you said we are living in a kind of virtual oblivion and the the, the that which can only be detected will have to necessarily become a a part of our ethos you if what we're going to wait for is for everything to be rationalized measured materialized 
I, I feel like I know where the momentum of that idea is taking us. I feel where I know where rationalism is taking us. Materialism, consumer, consumerism, individualism, if that, you know, that we're going to have to evoke once more the mystery. And in your um, example of the oracles and the mm. reading of the vapours, and of course that is um, uh, delightfully analogous to the sort of geological studies that you cited, but uh, it, for me, is this a continual attempt to sort of um, squeeze the mystery through the toothpaste tube of rationalism that is part of the problem? That is mm. that that we I think that because because of the the hubris that I associate with materialism and rationalism, at least in terms of its practice and in terms of its results, I feel that there needs to be a kind of a surrender to nature, a kind of reverence for the the c- c- p- poetics that is discovered in an endeavor such as yours that oh my god this is exactly like going within oh, wow that's indistinguishable from that myth how are these patterns can why are these patterns continually iterating again and again why is that happening and to and in our attempts to understand it you know it's, it's there's you know necessarily a reductivism and in that i think we we lose the thing that is most beautiful and most necessary i what I do, what I think, what I most firmly believe, what I most strongly believe is that we, what is required is the reintroduction of reverence of the sacred into ordinary life, the acceptance of our limitations. I, I can't think of another, forgive the word, weapon that can be mobilized in the, uh, against this, these kind of oppressive forces. And it feels like much of the kind of class of people that I deal with are like, up for sort of to a point examining examining and exploring these ideas but not to the point where it gets all shamanistic and Rasputin like and crazy and for understandable reasons you know one way lies fascism another way a kind of giddy idiocy but like um I feel that we're going to have to start using these forces because I think the 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 alternative is becoming um more menacing if you're enjoying this conversation, join me over at Luminary on Apple Podcasts for the rest of our discussion and for all the latest episodes of Under the Skin.